I am so excited to, to start off our conversation with my son, who is indeed a millennial, uh, my son, Joshua Natale. Hi, Josh. Hey, Dad. How are we doing? Good. I'm going to turn you up a little bit here. And uh, so, Josh, you're calling in from uh, the state of Indiana, the state of uh, the state of millennialism, right? And you're say hello to your Uncle Pete. Joshy. Hey, Uncle Pete. How you doing, bro? Hey. <laughs> I'm doing good. Just just got back from work, actually. So. Oh wow! You know, yeah, for a millennial, Josh, you're a fine young man. <laughs> Pete, you are just oh, getting yeah. yourself into <laughs> trouble. Okay. <laughs> no, Joshy knows I love it. <laughs> All right, Josh. Um, let, let's. Of course, I know you. I know your origin story, but why don't you say it in your own words about coming up in Erie and you know, um, you know, just kind of that whole thing. So you were born in Erie, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, born uh, in St. Vincent Hospital, um, 1993. That that dates me. Uh, grew up right off of State Street. Um, went to a private private Christian middle school and went to Collegiate Academy for high school, and then Penn State Barron for college. So, kind of local for all all of my education, um, and then. After college, moved out here to Bloomington, Indiana, to uh, pursue a, a government job out here. So, that's, yeah, and we'll, that's we'll, we'll uh, keep it on the down low, you know, for OPSEC, you know, uh, about what you exactly <laughs> do, you know. But uh, uh, let's. I want to kind of, I, 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 I want to kind of, um, you know, talk through navigating. You, know, you went to Collegiate Academy again. There, they. They uh, pride themselves on 100% college acceptance. So tell me about, you know, your approach to, like, looking at schools and getting ready for college and, you know, what you did at Collegiate to kind of get, kind of steer your way towards uh, your field. Sure. Um, I mean, going into high school, I knew I was was always um, advanced in math and science, so Engineering was kind of always in the back of my mind. Um, so once I got to collegiate, they kind of affirmed that through testing and through different classes. And um, collegiate is very unique in in that you're able to really cater your schedule. And uh, after you get all your core classes done, you can you can really pursue some um, some really cool things, uh, no matter what you're interested in, whether it's math and science or the arts or anything like that. So, um, so yeah, that was, a that was a big deal, um, in high school to lead me to, uh, pursue engineering in college. And, um, Erie is pretty, uh, pretty fortunate to have Penn State Barron right there with a great, uh, nationally ranked engineering school. So it was a, it was a good choice for sure. And to be able to, to stay near family throughout college. So, Josh, one more thing about collegiate. What kind of resources uh, do you feel like, you know, they had or they should have as far as helping you pick your career or choose colleges or, you know, like uh, we had uh, Bar Priest step in talking about go college, you know, and that a lot of that is for for folks that um, have don't have that college context around them in their in their you know families of origin or what have you. And then there's the other side of, sure. of, you know, the other side where, you know, people are saying, well, 
you know, sometimes parents force college down their kids' throats and maybe they're not geared up for college. But at Collegiate, what was the climate like as far as, you know, hey, these are these are the, some of the schools you should try out or here's some of the data. Here's here's information about scholarships and so on. Sure. Um, yeah, I know we had a lot of recruiters come into to the school and give information about each uh, whatever college they're promoting. Um, our guidance counselors were, were always there to help. Uh, and there weren't any um, specific programs like that Go College that you mentioned that I I utilized, but. Um, yeah, they. I mean, in general, they are collegiate. Did a really good job with preparing everyone for college that went there, and um, just kind of setting the tone for what they, what to expect, I guess. Um, and just really, I definitely felt more prepared than than probably a lot of my uh, peers felt going into college. So. Alrighty, um, and uh, you know. As far as Penn State Baron, again, I, we're talking to my son, Josh Natale. He uh, graduated from Penn State Baron and is now uh, working for the government um, in Indiana uh, as a as a mechanical engineer. Um, you know, you know, you said you said and it's true. It's it's the it's one of the highest ranked engineering schools. And, and remember, we're talking about the Penn State Baron campus, not just University Park. But Barron itself is in the top fifty in engineering schools in the country. Um, how you know what? Talk about the rigor. Talk about uh, the resources at Barron. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, a lot of good research labs that they are participating in that that they uh, that the professors um, hold there, and um, so we got got a lot of good lab. Um, lab time as well as the, the small classroom environment that, that Barron provides was definitely something that, that drew me to it, um, as well as the, the, the Penn State degree, obviously. Um, with going, going to such a, a highly ranked school, I, I knew that I would be, uh, be in, in good hands as far as when, when I uh, went to join the, the workforce. Um, yeah, I mean, there, there's just a lot of a lot, the the program was amazing, and I I learned so much through uh, the different courses I was able to take and just the electives that they that they offer there. Um, it, it really helped me get prepared for for being a mechanical engineer out out in the real life. Talk about your internship because that was kind of a cool. Uh, part of uh, your experience at sure. Penn State Baron. And again, uh, th- I want my audience to understand the distinctive here. This is a young man who uh, ba- was able to access everything educationally that our community has to offer, but, is, but in the end is working, <laughs> at, is working in another state. So we have to understand, you know, that this is the reality what times thousands, right, Josh? I mean, uh, uh, you know, we'll, and we'll we'll kind of save your 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 narrative about uh, where all your buddies have ended up here in in a, in, a, in a bit. But okay, so you you had an internship, and you were able to do this internship both in Erie and in the the corporate office of the company you were working for. Yeah, yeah. So uh, my sophomore year, I guess it was, I was able to to get an internship with FMC Technologies, which 
um, has now been bought out by another company. But um, yeah, they had a design center uh, specifically for Penn State Barron's engineers, and um, it was just a great opportunity to to get that experience. Um, and then there, with that internship, there was a a, a three month detail down at the corporate headquarters in Houston, Texas to work on their oil and gas uh, projects down there. So it was a, a, a really awesome opportunity to be able to get that wide exposure, um, basically from from a, a local company, a local opportunity in, in Erie. Um, and then that, that set me up to, to basically go into the workforce, uh, even though they weren't able to uh, hand out full full job opportunities through that uh, through that offer. Uh, I was still able to get that experience to to land the job that I I truly wanted. Um, so yeah, it, it worked out in the end for sure. That's cool. Okay, so as you were graduating or fixing to graduate, and you, you know you're you're dealing with the. Uh, um, I don't know. What do they have at college? I guess they have career offices and stuff like that. I mean, what kind of opportunities as a mechanical engineer did you see in the Erie region? Um, kind of the, I mean, the big ones that are there, are obviously GE and Lord, um, I guess Zern is another big one there. Um, none of those really were what I was looking for, I guess. Um, I was kind of more drawn to the def- um, the defense industry, so that's that's where I put my focus on once once that FMC Technologies opportunity um, uh, passed. I I shifted gears, I guess. And uh, yeah, and so and so, if you were thinking worked, about defense elsewhere, yeah, if you were thinking about defense industry, then you know the the obvious names come up are like Martin Marietta. General Dynamics, you know, uh, you know the what, what did what did the Eisenhower call the 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 uh, the <laughs> military industrial complex, yes. right? <laughs> right, right. Sigorsky, yeah. Helicopter. So I mean, I Sigorsky at, helicopters, I big, right? Go ahead, Josh. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I lo- I looked at those big companies, uh, Lockheed Martin, uh, Raytheon, the the big names, you know. Um, Arc One. So. What did you know, Blackwater? No, no, no. The one that Cheney. Was. Oh my goodness! I don't know. One of my my favorite <laughs> vice president. It's yeah. oh, all right. So, so Josh, here here's a tough question. Would it be Would it be accurate from your standpoint as a as a young knowledge worker? Okay, so you're you're graduating with this monster degree from Penn State. You know your dean's list. You're an academic All-American, you know, uh, collegiate athlete. You know, and so you've got, so you know, so you've got a resume, right? But you yeah. didn't see anything in Erie that kind of either, you know, that was it that you didn't see anything in Erie that floated your boat? Or is there just too many knowledge workers coming out of our local universities that our market can handle? From your I, opinion. I think it was... Uh, I think it was a mixture of both. Um, the, being, I guess, being in in the area for my whole life, I I was kind of ready to to see what was out there because I had heard these company names 
pretty much throughout college, though, even high school, uh, uh, that they are hiring engineers. And when it came down to it, I just, I kind of lost interest, I guess, and um, wanted to, to look at a, a, a broader scope, I guess. Um, but yeah, I mean, a lot of, a lot of friends that I went to college with, they, they did end up at GE, at Lord, um, at, at the other uh, big uh, employers in Erie. So uh, it's, I guess it, it kind of was a mixture of both my preference and, uh, and just how many uh, billets there are out to fill. So, so, okay. So that, that's, a, there are a lot of engineers coming out of Barron. Yeah, there are a lot of engineers, but you're saying that the ones that, you know, you know, let's talk about your friends. The ones that wanted to stay in town were, how easy was it for them to stay in town? Um, I mean, for some of them, a lot of, uh, they, they got internships through them in college and then just kind of was able to transition into full time. Um, I, I thought I had that opportunity through FMC and then that, that fell through. So that was unfortunate. And, um, and some, some of my friends have gone out in, into different States and even to different countries and are now back in Erie. So it's, it's a pretty big uh, mixture of, of experiences there. Could you uh, kind of share some of the places again, uh, you know, uh, from your kind of your close circle, uh, where are some of the places that that these guys are working at, both here in town and elsewhere? Yeah, um, I, I, the the two ones that come to mind are, are GE Transportation and the uh, Lord Corporation. Um, but I know I know there's others that uh, are with small smaller companies, smaller businesses that I, I can't think of the names off the top of my head, but. Um, they're doing design yeah, work or a handful of them that or either either um, plant management design. or project yeah. management or something like that yeah there's guys working uh on testing like at ge they're doing the engine testing um at lord uh working on manufacturing and and things like that so it's a, a pretty a pretty good mix of of uh of roles and what about out elsewhere? What is what is a an Erie, Pennsylvania college degree get you uh, for some of your buddies that are out and about? You know, I mean, it'll get you what uh, what a degree at MIT will get you if you uh, if you are able to interview well enough. <laughs> um, I mean, I I work with people from all over the country here in Indiana, and including people from from Erie, from Pennsylvania. Um, so it, it, it can really take you anywhere if you, if you truly want to go somewhere. So I don't think it's, I don't think it limits you to just local companies. So, so how, yeah, what did you, what did you, how did you have to get, you know, how did you get your job? Just kind of be as uh, non-specific as you need to be. But, uh, what what kind of effort did it take for you to get your job? Again, you had the killer resume, uh, but it, it, you had to be present, didn't you? Um, yeah, I mean, I uh, I I kind of stood out because I was able to uh, put myself out there for this for this gov- government job, and they 
they liked my resume and they liked my uh, attitude towards the, the employment. So that's kind of how I made it out here. Um, as far as finding the job, uh, USA posts all their government jobs online and um, it's, it's uh, they're pretty selective, I would say. Um, so I think having that resume really helped get me to stand out. For sure, and they did some. They did some recruiting of you too, didn't they? I mean, oh yeah. I mean, they 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 found my resume in in a, a big pot and called me out to to interview in Indiana. So um, honestly, I hadn't even applied for a job out here, and and they found me. So <laughs> it was kind of it was kind of fate that I ended up here. We got a minute or two left. Uh, what do you like most about uh, your town of Bloomington? It's a pretty cool town. Yeah, it's a. I mean, it's the home of Indiana University, so it's a, a big college town. There's uh, just a lot to do. A lot of a lot of young people, uh, I guess, people my age. So that that helps for sure with uh, just different activities that go on. There's a lot of relevant things and. There's really things for for everyone uh, as far as um, just different activities to do, and there's just always something going on, I guess. And Hey, Josh. Yeah, it's just, uh, yeah, Uncle Pete, what's up? Would you describe uh, Blo- Bloomington yeah. as a millennial town, Josh? Yeah. <laughs> yes, it is, totally. <laughs> <laughs> so, so does everybody yeah, go to work would, or they that. play video games uh, all Pete, day? Oh my goodness, they're getting degrees. Do they what are you talking a, about? Do they have apartments or <laughs> well, does yeah, everybody live in their is. parents' basement? <laughs> Except for you, of course. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I do not live in my parents' basement, obviously, but um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, half the population here are getting degrees and then. Uh, Pretty much the other half either work where I work um, or work at some of the big pharmaceutical companies here. So, um, yeah, it's it, it's kind of either you're doing the 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 IU thing or you're you're working at these couple of companies that are here. Okay, last question, Josh. How, how it works that way. Uh, last question, yep. uh, and. and you can you can hit a home run out of this one. What do you miss most about Erie? <laughs> Specifically, my uncle Pete. <laughs> Yay! I, no. Good answer. <laughs> hey, I miss you, Joshy. No, I mean, it, it is it is hard going to a, a new town and having to make new friends and not having family around. So I, I definitely. I, I miss being around friends and family. Um, as far as the the city itself, it, there's a lot to offer with like Presque Isle and um, the tourism areas. So I I I, I genuinely miss that part. I miss Sarah's. Uh, yeah, I'm going to Waldemere on the in the summer. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, it's 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 true. But and and uh, you, I'm sure you miss your family the most. So. And we miss you too. Hey, that's, thank you. That's the number one answer. That's the number one answer. There you go. Joshua, thank you so much for taking the time. I feel like you gave us a good uh, handle on what it's like for a millennial to, you know, do do their best at school, 
get the degree from Erie, Pennsylvania. Get get that education. Again, we are kind of a net exporter of our knowledge base workers. And but and then and then you know what? It was your choice. You know, it was right. you 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 could see the whole palette of options, the whole um, you know, the 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 whole gambit of options and you made your choice for what you were interested in, and, and you know, obviously, you're enjoying yourself. Mm-hmm. And and uh, so, last word from Dad is uh, take some emergency, take care of that cold, okay? <laughs> oh, will do. All right, Josh. Hey, and one more thing, yeah. Uh, just a, a shout out to to Becca Nolting, my fiance, and your future daughter-in-law. It's her birthday today, so happy birthday! Oh my oh. goodness, happy birthday, Becca! Yeah, Good same night. from Uncle Pete. <laughs> All right. Well, Pete, I think I think the stereotype kind of doesn't hold water in a lot of ways. Joe, I mean, right. what I said is obviously, you know, so much hyperbole. Hyperbole. But, you know, I mean, it's out there, isn't it? Well, yeah, it, well, and again, you can't you can't you can't paint a a a a generation of no. millions of Americans with one broad brush. But what I guess what we what we were trying to achieve here is understanding where eerie millennials are coming from, what are the options, what's happening with them. Mm -hmm. And so that's, that's one slice of what's going on. You know? Yeah. He's, he, he went and got the high powered degree. Right. And so, yeah, he's not, you know, he doesn't even play fourth night, you know I mean? Right. Uh, you know, that's, probably it's doesn't not, have time. He doesn't, he doesn't have time. He, he has a fiance he, too. He, yeah. There's a lot of, a lot of <laughs> yeah, stuff that goes exactly. into all that. Hey, we want to welcome to the microphone Sean Fedorko. He is the uh, the founder, one of the co-founders of Radius Co Work, and uh, I I we we're going to unpack all of that because okay. uh, because it's a great place uh, where uh, folks of all different age groups, but especially millennials, are finding a place to kind of you know enter into the gig economy and uh, and you know serve their clients. In, in a space that they don't have to pay an arm and a leg for and use when they need to and, and, and then reserve it, reserve that same desk for somebody else for the next uh, hour or day or what have you. Well, thanks for making a great pitch for me, Joel. <laughs> well, you know I'm going to do that. Sean, uh, we, we, it's a family show, so let's start with your origin story. You're an eerie kid, aren't you? Yeah, I was uh, born and raised here. Uh, I even went to my undergraduate uh, here in Erie, but I left for graduate uh, work, graduate education, and uh, work. I never thought I'd come back. When I did come back, it was just for a short contract and ended up uh, falling in love with the city that I never really knew when I was a kid and, and haven't left since. So you you operate out of Radius Cowork, uh, and first off, what is a co-working space? And I mean, how did you get such an amazing view of Erie from your co-working space? Yeah, it, it's got to be one of the best views in in downtown. Yeah. Well, we're we're on the ninth floor of the Renaissance Center, tallest building in the city, right in the heart of downtown, and we've got a view north, south, east, and west. So it, it is pretty incredible. But um, uh, what a co-working space is. It's kind of like a gym for businesses. You join a gym rather than building a whole gym in, gym in your home, right? And a gym has a hundred treadmills, and at no time, you know, even though they might have a thousand members, it, Saturday at eight a.m., you don't have a hundred people who need treadmills. We do the same thing, but with work equipment, with desks. So we have a hot hundred members, and uh, we've got desks and conference rooms, meeting rooms, a cafe, a classroom. We've got equipment, monitors, uh, you know, your printer and your pens and all all that. 
and you show up and use it. You don't have to get a commercial lease. You don't have to buy the equipment yourself. You don't have to get utilities. And just like a gym, it's month to month. Yeah, I mean, even it's, you even have it down to like if you if you want a guest pass to the co working space, you can get a one day. You know, I just need a place to, to put my computer. You know, because hey, the world's connected right now. Yeah, and people come into town and they've got to do business and they've only got to do business for one or two days. So where are they going to work? Does Erie want to say the only place for them to work is a Panera? No, we want to uh, tell them you can come work with a bunch of other professionals who are in this city who are also doing work around the world. And so, yeah, drop in for a day pass. So how does it work, though? Because I have a little bit of, you know, attention deficit. I mean, would I be able to figure out how to work with somebody doing, you know, maybe talking to Singapore next door to me or something like that? Or Well, the most important thing is that people self-select in, right? Okay. People choose to join a co-working community. We don't sell an asset. What we have is a place where people can work together. When huh. you're a lone freelancer, when you're a lone remote worker, the only person for your company in this city because the company is located halfway around the world, or when you're one or two people just starting a business, that's lonely. You need peers. You need people to collaborate with. People come to our space explicitly to find that. Now, that's we, interesting. we yeah. do accommodate, though. You got a good point. Sometimes people need silence. So we've got a big open work bullpen. We've got the library where you only work in silence, no calls, no conversations, no meetings. We've got team rooms. So small teams can get isolated. Three or four people work together. Uh, or we've got uh, private offices for people who do need a dedicated space. So that is really something. So this thing has kind of grown from when you guys first started, right? Oh, yeah. We uh, we started, my co-founder, Bill Scholes, a uh, brilliant guy, was the only other guy in the city I could find who had fallen in love with the idea of co-working. And so we put the word out there and we found about 12 people, a dozen people, who were really excited about the idea of working together. We went to cafes together, went to dinner together, and we said, yeah, we can work together. Uh, and we thought, well, if we get up to 25, that would be a really good little community. And we had about 2,000 square feet. Well, now we're, like I said, almost 100 people, and we've got about 8,000 square feet with another 1,000 we want to bring under renovation. Really? Okay. And that's all on the ninth floor of the Renaissance, or have you expanded off of there now? It's most of the ninth floor of the Renaissance Center. Eventually, will be the entire thing. Wow. Okay. So we're talking to Sean wait, Fedorko. Wait, wait. Yeah. The entire Renaissance Center? Well, the ninth well I've got some ambitions, <laughs> yeah. but we'll be the entire ninth floor for <laughs> the ninth now. Floor. Oh, okay. Gotcha. <laughs> so, so, okay. Talk about you personally as a boomerang. Um, you know, everybody has a, li a little uh, reason to come back here. You had a contract to come back. Um, you know, uh, are, are, now you're running this this uh, this uh, business. You know, you're run you're running the business. But uh, like, tell how does the gig economy work? How does how does the contract economy work? I mean, yeah. I mean, it, it, again, to uh, you know, you think about some of our listeners. You know, they worked for one of the shops for 35 years and then retired. Yeah. Right? That, they can't, that's, this is far away from... Yeah, 35 years in a pension is not an option for anyone my age. Companies don't exist like that. You build a software product, but you know that the software, even the hardware that the software is based on, is going to be obsolete in five to ten years. So what you're doing is you're working on projects. So you come in and you say, well, we're going to design a locomotive, but we know that in 10 years, our type of locomotive won't exist anymore or won't be being designed anymore. In our case, it's, well, we design software, we design tools, we do graphic design, or we do legal work. 
And the needs of our consumers are going to change. The needs in terms of skill sets to produce are going to change. And so we think in shorter time horizons. And that's really the gig economy is I work a gig. Mm -hmm. For the next couple of years, I'm going to be working on building a product. Once the product's built, the company won't need me anymore because it's software. It'll just be running on machines. Well, then our team transitions. And maybe I even transition employers and I work on building something new. So there's a lot of flexibility in people's career paths and flexible workspaces make that uh, easier to adapt to. Now, I would imagine that in the gig economy, the, the pay, the pay scales are not dictated by local uh, entities or, or, or local modes. I mean, I think one of the big things that we've learned through this radio show is sometimes eerie employers uh, take advantage. I mean, not, not, not that there's anything wrong with it, but there is a lower cost of living. And so they don't pay basically a market scale as if yeah. we were in a national market. But if you're used to working for a Palo Alto company, you're going to want to get Palo Alto wages, even though you're sitting in a co-working space in Erie, Pennsylvania on the ninth floor. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's important to draw the distinction between the gig economy, which is job to job. That's like an Uber. You know, I get a gig driving this guy and okay. then I get another gig driving another guy. And the gig with Uber could end any day. And the contract economy. So I might work for a company for five years. That's not really a gig. I'm under contract or I'm employed, but I'm not staying for a lifetime with them. And you're right. A lot of the employers who employ those long-term contract workers in remote jobs, they pay much higher. Mm -hmm. So I can work for a company from Erie. Uh, I can be from Erie working here, but a company Mm -hmm. might be in Houston. And I'm going to be making 100000 or 85000 and I might be 28 years old. And you're right. Erie simply cannot hire that talent. But that talent for that wage loves living in Erie because they live like a king. Right. So in our last year, our focus was in helping young professionals in the city of Erie. As they look for career opportunities, they look up the chain and they see they don't have an opportunity for promotion locally. They look laterally and the lateral moves don't make them much better off. Well, we help them understand you can find a remote position, keep the house you love, keep the two acres, keep the dog, stay by the lake, but make a heck of a lot more money working for national companies. Hey, Sean, go ahead. Yeah. I'm, you know, I'm obviously not a millennial, but I am a musician and uh, you've appropriated our term there. You know, we do gigs. Uh, <laughs> that's okay. where, yeah that's where we get it from i guess thank well thank you thank you we set the stage for you um anyway i you know my gigs usually pay, pay 50 to 100 bucks i'd like one of your gigs sean could you help a brother out oh my word um see, we're talking to sean fedorko he is uh the uh one of the co-founders and the operator of radius co-work and a lot of Folks that are in the millennial generation are finding uh, good work in in these contracts or gig economies or basically being national employees, if you will. But uh, has there been kind of a pushback from some of these employers? I, I know that well, I can't. Uh, uh, was it Google or Facebook or I think it was Cheryl, wherever Cheryl Sandberg is? She was trying to bring in a lot of uh, the remote workers back to facebook or what have you do, do have you seen any trends that way sean well there's an ebb and flow and what's so important to understand is that there's no one general truth for all employers throughout the, the country right, or the world right. and certainly not even throughout particular industries 
some cultures at particular companies just prefer to operate a different kind of way. Um, like Apple wants everybody there generally. A- Apple is a great example because they build large, fantastic campuses able to meet all the needs of their employees because they think that there is a strong competitive advantage to having everybody working together. Mm-hmm. And they'll accommodate all the needs necessary to make that appealing to their workforce. Other companies recognize that there's an advantage to spreading their workforce out throughout the country because now every employee is like an intelligence gatherer in a different city. So Mm. it really depends on on business to business. Um, And I think what's important is... Sure, you see articles where one company is breaking everyone out of the headquarters and one company is pulling everyone back in. What's important is that companies are learning how to adapt and discover what works best for their workforce. What we're seeing is are, are more millennials like you, Sean, who are taking leadership positions in in key parts of civic life. I mean, we've just seen kind of a a, a total uh, wave of of new leadership in some of our arts communities, you know, at the Arts Museum, at right. Arts and Culture, at the Playhouse. I mean, you know, in in one by one, and we're, you know, even even at uh, um, you know, at, uh, you know, some of the churches and some of the other, you know, big, big organizations, there's that move, there's that leadership toss. Um, what happened to the Gen Xers though? How come a, a generation, oh, this is a serious Yeah, I, 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 get, I, I understand. How yeah. come they're kind of not getting the attention? Like my daughter, Emily, uh, posted on Facebook, you know, she used the word bias. I mean, is there, is there... Is there actually a bias against that generation in, in American society? You know, Pete, I don't think there's a bias against them. You know, in a lot of ways, they're called the forgotten generation. They just Are got they? left out, right? Wow. So you look at a Gen Xer in Erie, you know, 20 years ago, and uh, they're looking at the leadership of all the major organizations, and the boomers aren't ready to retire yet, so they no. can't move up. They're looking at the growth uh, opportunities, and there is no growth opportunity. The city's still kind of in decline, and so they they leave, right? They go mm-hmm. somewhere else, wow. and so... We don't really see that generation as as prominently here in the community because it's only within the last five years that Erie's really begun to bounce back rapidly. Mm-hmm. And so who are the young rising leaders? Well, they happen to be the millennials. And so the, the Gen Xers just got to kind of kind of got left out in wow. that period of decline. That's an interesting topic. right? Well, right no, there. it's it's super true. I mean, and, and, you know, specifically to Erie. Again, you go to you know, a, a, a city like Nashville, which has never stopped advancing or Northern Virginia or so on. Yeah, and yes, there there are Gen Xers all throughout uh, leadership and of so course. on. So, uh, so one of the big cr- uh, criticisms about Erie, and one of the things that I know uh, that the officials are working on, whether they're in the Downtown Development Corp or the Downtown Partnership, or you know, wh- you know, in the Bayfront areas or what have you, is is improving kind of the vibe of the urban core and what's your take on that i mean you work in the urban core i don't know where you live uh, but you know i want to live downtown and they got to get the housing built so i can come down there when i first came back to erie i took months trying to find a good apartment downtown but i'm coming from dc where i've got beautiful hardwood floors oh. and marble countertops and stainless steel appliances and i'm looking around for a beautiful refashioned you know place downtown they just aren't there because wow. that 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 high end uh, you know housing hadn't been built and now we're finally building it through the edc you might take on all this is it's been fantastic look i don't want to get in a car if i don't have to Mm. i want to like i did in dc walk out my door stop at my cafe on the way to you know my first public transit stop get on public transit walk out walk into the building i'm going to walk work there 
eat my lunch across the street, get my dinner at the bar below, go meet someone for drinks and a show, and get on the public transit, head back to my house. Why do I need a car? I want to put all that money into the economy. I don't yeah, want to waste it on yeah. something that sits in my garage. That's that's that that oh is such a gosh. and that that is a huge trend, you know, huge paradigm shift wow. for for all these folks that live at the end of the cul-de-sac, you know, and they're you know, in their uh, 2,500 square foot home. You know, there's there's another important uh, motivator there. You know, at the cul-de-sac, you're really kind of isolated, right? I'm in a box and you're in a box and I might not interact with the people in the cul-de-sac, you know, <laughs> sure. maybe ever over years. <laughs> Here when, we go. Here we go. This, Josh. Is why, this is why we have this Here's radio. The show. Ten, yeah. go, here's the go. tension. But <laughs> when we're downtown, right, well, we're yeah. in a community where we're cooperating, interacting, standing next to and talking to all of the people in our city all the time, we form much tighter bonds. We find many more opportunities to help and care for one another and i think that's something that millennials are really enthusiastic about they like that experience that intersection with other people's lives and that that constant communication so okay how much of this then is aspirational in your opinion vis-a-vis you know uh we're able to experience some of this now um yeah i mean i i think uh you want both simultaneously so there's some demand right now and we're trying to meet it but we'd also like to generate more demand and so that's how things like what the eddc are doing coordinate uh individual actors so there's a blighted property and nobody will come in and take the market hit to be the first investor to buy the building and rehab so what do you do you help incentivize eddc starts buying things up now private actors begin to get excited and they coordinate their investments and suddenly you've catalyzed a whole movement downtown because all these consumers all these citizens were just waiting for it to happen no one knew how to make the first move some organizations are making that first move and you're right you cited you know josh helmer at the erie art museum and patrick fisher with erie arts and culture these young leaders who are shaking things up and making change and making the city not only more beautiful but more exciting and so what about landowners that are are already there one of the things the big complaints i had uh uh, earlier in the show was this concept of I'm walking out of the Warner Theater and what do I see? I don't see uh, other than, you know, the voodoo brewery way down the street uh, uh, north of me. I don't see like a, a a theater district like I would see even in Pittsburgh or Cleveland, right. let alone New York. I see, you know, the the beer package store and the and the Rite Aid. I mean, is it is it just a matter of time that we we just kind of have to step by step take the baby steps yeah. to to revitalize that that it area? Is, it is a matter of time, Joel, because you know what happened if you stepped out of the theater 15 years ago, you saw an empty building. Now yeah. you see activity, right? And that activity will change over time, but uh I I've been downtown now for 5 years running a business. And it used to be that, you know, one in every three shops was empty or boarded up or not occupied. Now they're all occupied. Now they'll be occupied by different things over time. But we're starting to make these coordinated investments. We're saying, you know, boy, what if we pulled all the art museums and the theaters near each other and had a whole arts district? Hey, you know, what if we pulled all the entrepreneurship, startup, innovation and technology sectors together and we coordinated them to amplify each other? So you're right. We have to realize that these are very difficult changes and they take extraordinary amounts of time. I mean, to transition a property itself might take over a year just mm-hmm. to process a transaction. So we have to be patient and diligent and persistent, but we are seeing change. We've got to pat ourselves on the back sometimes and say, boy, we've come a long way from where we were 10 years ago. So let's talk about maybe the non-knowledge workers uh, that are in the millennial class. Uh, 
you know, uh, what do you think, you know, what's your position, for example, on like the community college or uh, additional education being uh, available to them? I don't know too much about the community college, so it's not an issue I, I can really speak very well to. But non-knowledge workers are also booming. I mean, many of the people who, who work in our co-working space are to some degree artists um many of our some of the artifacts in our space our conference table was built by brad triana who runs bottom of the handle studios this guy's done incredible master woodworking for the jefferson society for larson text for vnet for radius i mean he's a young maker just the other day i was speaking speaking to uh uh david santiago who makes these custom knives here in erie now he's a 26 year old guy who's buying up all the old machines that are manual machines from what used to be the machine shops wow. because he needs them to make custom knives i mean you've got uh, guys who are makers who are yeah. making it here another one matt ratowski uh of fang he makes leather metal and woodworking and is now working with josh at the art museum to put in uh spoon carving classes to offer those to the public i mean you got young guys who are makers and they're making it we are talking about the state of millennials i'm joel natalie it's the it's talkerie.com and we welcome to the microphone Amanda Duncan, she's my niece. She's Hi, Pete's daughter, and uh, Sean Fedorko. Oh, he somehow he, the poor guy is is <laughs> in the middle, has, is in the middle of <laughs> this. It's pretty you know, wild. He's he's doing some uh, some fam, some family intervention here. And, <laughs> but we, no, we're talking about millennials. And thank you, Amanda, for taking the time to be with us. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, we want to kind of get your story of being a boomeranger here. But uh, of course, you grew up uh, in Erie and Mill Creek, right? Yes. I mean, Yep. I uh, grew up, we were down in Erie City until I was about eight years old and then moved to Mill Creek, um, finished out my education there. Um, and I left Erie when I was 18 for Pittsburgh to attend the University of Pittsburgh. Did you ever think by any chance you'd come back or was that ever no. part of the plan? No. I mean, if you had asked, you know, 15 year old me, I thought I was going to be in like New York City mm -hmm. on Broadway, living it up. Uh, I fell in love with Pittsburgh. Alicia Keys, the whole Alicia yeah, Keys thing. Uh, right? Not Alicia Keys <laughs> so much. Uh, I don't have that voice. NYU. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I really, you know, I was looking at those schools. I ended up at Pitt and fell in love with um with Pittsburgh and, and fell in love with a boy there, um, yeah. which really kind of solidified my reasoning for making that my home. Um, when I moved to Pittsburgh, it was kind of where Erie is right now, wow. right at that cusp of that renaissance well, that everybody talks about now. It's really essential that people remember how devastating the 80s were in Pittsburgh. I mean, entire regions just obliterated because of the loss of steel. Right. I always think about um, my freshman year of college, I used to um, volunteer at this place called the Parental Stress Center in East Liberty. And at that time, I remember waiting for the bus and there was like a single stoplight. I was, you know, the only one around, nobody else, and waiting for this one bus that would only come once an hour to pick mm -hmm. me up, to take me back to Oakland to campus. That same intersection now has a Whole Foods, it has a Target, it has a Warby Parker. Um, that area in the past decade alone has just exploded. And to see how quickly development occurred in Pittsburgh and then seeing some echoes of that in Erie and, and what people are talking about, and what people are doing is exciting. And also it can be a little bit um, 
concerning too um because i think that pendulum can swing too far and too quickly uh but that's a yeah well i mean we're going to talk about it yeah sean i mean it's kind of what you were just saying is that as you walk out of the warner theater it may not look like the theater district that we're hoping for that we're aspiring for but it's at least it's not boarded up and and unoccupied yeah absolutely and and uh you know, Manda's example is, is apt and, and eerie pretty frequently for, for decades has looked to Pittsburgh and say, you know, uh, we can kind of get the bellwether of where we're headed mm-hmm. because we're in the same region and Pittsburgh has the resources to move a little faster. Um, and we are picking up that same momentum that they had uh, started 15 years ago and we see where they've ended up and we know where we're going to end up. But we also, you know, we get a little forecast of where things could go wrong and we get to adapt ourselves and maybe make some wiser choices as a result of all the examples that we have to follow in the wake of so uh, so man when you talk about the the concerning things um uh you're are you talking about gentrification are you talking about you know people being left behind because as as i listen to the city fathers it, you know it, it's always no one and no one will be left behind that's <laughs> that is really one of the drives um gentrification is a huge part of it and i think in some cases erasures of entire communities um east liberty if if you want to see a really um startling example of gentrification do some reading on what happened there um on penn plaza and that housing development um you know i think for me such a, a vivid example of that is there was an african breeding store that had been there for as long as i can remember right in the heart of east liberty that is now like this really um posh i think indian restaurant like high-end indian restaurant and warby parker's right next to it um just to see you know developers see obviously an an opportunity to make a lot of money really fast and they don't think about the repercussions of of how that's going to affect generations of families who have lived in those communities Um, it's it's really hard as 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 a lifelong eerieite to hear the whole idea of making anything really fast around here but right imagine though if if 18th street became like this hipster paradise right where people are knocking down you know international bakery unknowns and putting in you know these trendy pokey bowl places that would hurt your heart right (laughs) what's a pokey bowl exactly uh Wow. Well, and that's that's where I think Yuri's actually made a lot of really uh, wise and careful moves along the philosophy of nothing for me without me. Yeah. Right? So the work that the EDDC is doing, uh, for example, where some people have raised the concern of gentrification, which I, I don't think is actually a, a likely problem in Yuri because that's premised on the scarcity of real estate. And Erie is a city built for can to house 140,000 right. people mm-hmm. with only 90,000 in it. There's not yeah. a, a likelihood of us really put dis- physically displacing people soon. And we've, and we've had that conversation because yeah. I'm I'm like hanging on. We've got to at least get to 100,000 because yeah. we start losing yeah. However, big stuff. But, but, I, but I do think that you know, organizations like EDDC and, and even like the arts, arts organizations, yeah. and certainly the new city administration, most recently with their initiation of the People's Suffer meant to br- bring together yes. 
disparate communities mm -hmm. to engage them in conversations. They're really making sure that this displacement, this loss of authenticity and community doesn't occur in the process of growth. The mm -hmm. growth uh, is, for, is for everybody and the change um, is agreed on by the community itself. We're talking about the state of millennials. If you want to weigh in, 679-1080 is the phone number that works from your, you know, from your cell phone at 814-679-1080. Amanda Duncan, um, let's talk about uh, how you came back as you boomerang back. So you were, you were involved in Pittsburgh, started having kids. Um, Erie's a great place to raise kids. It's a great place to raise kids. I think, um, you know, Pittsburgh was super fun and a great place to be in my 20s, um, you know, when we were just graduated, we had all this, you know, dispensable income that we could, you know, spend however we wanted. We were going to restaurants all the time. Tell them um, where you lived, Amanda. I lived all over the city. I lived in Southside Flats. I lived in Friendship. We lived in... Um, Southside, right? Just yeah. up the street from Southside? Just, I mean, the, in Southside, I lived right, in Oakland, Right, but obviously. I'm saying the main, what's the main street? East Carson. Yeah, yeah Carson. I lived literally right behind the Permani Brothers. Um, <laughs> it was a lot of fun. And then, you know, we had kids. We started building a family. We started thinking about buying a house. And things started to feel very much out of reach for us. Mm. The other thing that really was just not fun at all once you become a parent is, you know, we were working our tails off. Jeff was piecing together three different jobs. I was working full time. Our kids were in daycare 10 hours a day. Um, you know, we were commuting several hours a day and I felt like I just never saw my family and that I didn't have the support and I was burning out super fast, um, which is when we started talking about making this move to Erie. And I think, um, you know, aside from some of the things you were talking about earlier about, um, you know, just how far your dollar can go here. Um, you know, we bought a beautiful house in Mill Creek. Um, we, you know, I was doing the same job I was doing in Pittsburgh, but here in Erie. Um, yeah. And those things all lend to it. But also having that family support um, is just that's invaluable. You can't Papa. put a price on that to have Papa. to have Papa <laughs> a mile down the street right. um, and just popping by whenever he wants to see the yeah. kids is. And that, and that story is replicated across uh, the Erie uh, landscape. Let's take a call. Uh, you are on uh, with Joel Natale on TalkErie.com. Hello, caller. Well, hello, Joe. Yes. Can you hear me all right? Yeah, sure do. Sure do. Have, you right. have a question? Go ahead. Well, not since a question, but I guess it is in some sense. Uh, I, I think the millennials have a great infrastructure to, to work off of to uh, help Erie move forward. Uh, but I hope they don't have to depend on Erie County or Erie City government too much to do that. Um, and I'll tell you from personal anecdotal experience, I've uh, been trying to reach a member of county council and the county executive uh, numerous times without so much as a boo return call or, or email. Um, you just set up an appointment to talk with them about an attraction I want to bring to the area for all Erie Countyans. And also it would uh, attract people from other states on occasion for events. Um, and I think it's, uh, it's a hurdle that they would have to overcome if they were to move forward and do anything productive with the area. So why do you, why do you feel, just to push back just a little bit, why do you feel you have to talk to the county executive and you can't talk to people that might have more uh, knowledge and influence in the area that you want to do this for, you know what I mean? Like the, the planning, the planning commission I, or so on. Yeah. 
What I'm looking to uh, to do requires publicly owned land. Okay. Um, privately owned land won't do it. So, and, and again, I'm just learning. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not a professional in this regard. Uh, so I was trying to, you know, get audience with people that knew other people at least uh, county level. And I figured, and I was talking to other people that said, "Yeah, you're right. That's the place to start from." Um, it's very unresponsive, and I'm, I'm concerned about. Uh, you know, if a young person is going to be disheartened right off the bat because you know they're going to hit a brick wall, and, and that really bothers me. Let's uh, let's we'll uh, we'll take a chance to, to respond to you. Thanks for the call. Um, yeah, what do you what do you think there uh, as far as uh, you know? Uh, up until Mayor Schember took office, we we really had a hard time involving government in any of these conversations. No, that's absolutely true. And the new administration has been extraordinarily open. I think one of the best examples is uh, their institution of a business outreach officer with the city. So the first person to fill that role was Brett Weiler. Right. And he had been the business outreach coordinator with the Erie Regional Chamber. Um, and now he's moved on to work on the Opportunity Zone Development Project. But uh, the city also has hired um, uh, the community outreach uh, coordinators at Michael Outlaw and... Uh, Niken, who are engaging not just the business community, but uh, social communities. Yeah, populations yeah. across the city. Um, so certainly I think that, that this new administration is bringing a new breath of, of connectivity. Um, and I have had no problem accessing resources, but you got to find the right resource. Right. Uh, and the, the business development community here is all the organizations, not just the governmental, but the non-governmental as well have been uh, open armed uh, to the people who are showing up with with qualified ideas and the resources to execute them. I was thinking of uh, the, the the new firm that you're working for, Amanda, uh, which is the Erie uh, Regional Growth Partnership, uh, because uh, they are taking the mantle now of uh, of economic development. And I, that's kind of they're supposed to be the one stop shop anymore for 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 big ideas. And so I I would. I would talk to one of the caseworkers over there um, I would at, call, at, the, at, the, at the chamber. You give know. Nancy Irwin a call. She's yeah. there to support businesses. Um, the chamber is so supportive of their members and really um, helping them to grow and develop their business here in Erie. Um, I would also encourage that individual, you know, if a phone call is not working and you're trying to get a hold of a council member, show up at council meetings. They're open to the public. Yeah. Um, you know, I know at YEP, and I'll talk about, talk about YEP later, but one of our goals this year for the Civic and Community Engagement um, Committee is to have a member of YEP uh, present at every single city and council, city council and county council meeting. That's a, that's a pretty ambitious Sure, but deal. we yeah. have a huge membership. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you break it down and you attack it from that angle, um, you know, we're looking at ourselves as representatives of young professionals in the area just to know, like, hey, somebody's here representing that population here at that meeting and we can bring those concerns And somebody's forward. watching. And yes, absolutely. Like we are the, the watchdogs, um, you know, in a sense, there's a reason those meetings are public. So take advantage of those opportunities. But like you said, you don't have to go straight to Shember or straight to Kathy Dahlkamper in yeah. order to get anything accomplished. Um, you can talk to all of these different um, agencies that are 
available in our county, mm-hmm. um, like the Erie Regional Growth uh, Chamber, and, and get things done very quickly. And I mean, Sean is such a wonderful example of, of what you can do. He started two businesses here in the last yeah. few years. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to get a great job success. from Sean, Amanda. Hey, come on down to I Radius. I need a gig. <laughs> He's trying to get a gig yeah, in we, the gig economy. Yeah, you want to be a community manager at Coring Space? How good a cup of coffee you, you can know, you make? You know, it's a, oh, is there something on Facebook that we want to share? Uh, yes, there's a question from Emily Mountford. Okay. Who, who yeah. happens to be my sister. Um, so Emily asks, are you optimistic about Erie's future and what do you see in our city's future? Um, yeah, I wouldn't have made this investment in this jump if I wasn't optimistic about you know where the city is going and also what the city holds in store for my children. Mm-hmm. I, I do want to ask you, Amanda, because both you and your husband, Jeff, have been able to quickly position yourselves in leadership. I mean, uh, first off, did you feel like there were there was uh, still like uh, un, 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 unmet needs like in, in an organization like the Young Area Professionals, like where, where you can kind of fit in and, and contribute? Or or are you part of a wave, you know? I think we're part of a wave. I think, um, you know, going back to YEP, YEP doesn't exist for you to fit into um, a mold or to be a cog in a wheel. YEP is uh, fluid. Um, you know, a great example of that is we just had our annual meeting on Monday um, and Sean and Adam Williams were there and they were talking to Christy Bailey, our president, and they got to talking about how we need um, representatives for entrepreneurs in the area. And there's going to be an entrepreneurship committee now that Sean and Adam are going to be leading. Nice. And there's an open meeting for anybody who's interested, for anybody who considers themselves an entrepreneur and a young professional to speak into that and talk about what the needs are of that population and how we can drive that forward. So I think a lot of it is just taking advantage of what is here. I think Jeff and I, too, came in at a, a really uh, opportune time in Erie where these things were happening. Yep had just relaunched. There's places like Radius for me to go and find a new community that wasn't here, you know, 10, 15 years ago, the last time I considered myself an Erie resident. Um, So I think there's a lot out there if you just briefly open your eyes to look around at what Erie is right now in this moment uh, and you just have to kind of take advantage of it. What about your Pittsburgh friends when they when they heard <laughs> you know you're moving back to Erie number one and now and then now you're like you know full-blown working yeah. in an Erie organization. What- My favorite thing to do is to convince somebody to just come and visit me for a weekend for just a couple of days you know and just say like come on up, especially in the summertime, maybe not so much right now, Um, but come on up and visit for a couple of days. And they just fall in love with the city. Mm. And Erie is hard not to love. Um, you know, I want I want you to say that over again, and we're gonna like play that on a loop <laughs> all weekend long. Go. Erie is hard not to love. Um, I think we we become accustomed to, and we come a little bit jaded to what we have here. Um, but you know, my grandmother says all the time, like we are the gem on the lake. Um, and to see Erie through a fresh set of eyes is is really inspiring. You know what what we used to be. Uh referred to as the gem city no no that's Baltimore. dreary eerie the mistake the mistake on the lake but they say that about cleveland again in in the spirit of not leaving anybody behind let's talk about you know the 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 average 25 year old that doesn't have the killer job and you know uh i mean what are some of the options that you guys can can see or relate to you know for that for that one i mean i think it's a statistic that uh that Connie brought uh, the other day was that um, 
there's still a significant number of uh, 25 plusers that are living at home. I think it was close to what, 16, 17%, you know, one, you know, one in six or so. Um, you know, what would you do to encourage, uh, you know, especially we're talking to a lot of grandparents and parents of these of these millennial uh, young young men and women. Uh, well, the the opportunities have never been better. Not only to start your own thing, you know, whether you're starting a small business or you're becoming a freelancer, you're taking gig work for a while, uh, but also to to join some of the growing companies here in Erie. I mean, it's not just the young people that are building and growing things. Many of the companies that are here here in Erie have been kind of dormant for a while. They're seeking new investment. They're investing in growth themselves. They've got workforces retiring. And just about every sector is looking to hire, uh, whether that's local or remote. And if it is remote, you've got a a network of people you can join. And if it's local, there are probably half a dozen businesses that are looking for you. But you've got to get out there and find the connections, right? Because it doesn't it's it's not as easy to find it online. Talk about the the biggest complaint that I hear from uh, from boomers about millennials is this concept of the lack of resiliency or grit. Uh, man, man, talk about, I mean, do you have grit? I, I think I do. Um, I think that uh, it's, a, it's a misnomer to say that we are entitled or that we lack grit or resiliency. I think to understand, um, especially what us elder millennials um, have been through, um, we came of age right I mean, I graduated into the recession Uh, within six months of being hired for my first job. My entire hiring class, except for me and one other person, got laid off. And then my my uh, my salary was frozen for three years while the economy rebounded. And I have not recovered from that, not to mention, you know, being saddled with thousands of dollars of debt immediately out of college. That's a reality that most millennials deal with. And I think that we're dealing with with great resiliency. I mean, I think it's okay to push back and say, you know, hey, like we didn't we're not handed the silver platter to work with. Um we don't have the economic um the economic uh, opportunities all, yeah. that, you know, say our parents had um or even Gen X had during the Reagan era mm. and, and during deregulation and where everything was booming. You know, we're right. on the back end of that. We're you know, we see we're experiencing the downfalls of that. So um, I think, you know, what you see is millennials being creative and finding new ways to make their way, um, you know, whether that's starting new businesses, small businesses, taking advantage of the digital world and changing technology. Um, so, yeah. I want to thank both of you. I want to thank both of you for being on with me. We're out of time here. We're up against Can the news. Can I make a, a quick yes, pitch? Yes, go, go. So, um, as Joel said earlier, I am the program manager for Young Erie Professionals. If you are a young professional in the city of Erie, please uh, join our membership. Uh, it's a great way to network with other like-minded professionals, and it's a great way to speak into um, what the future of Erie is. So, I encourage you to check out our website. Uh, just head over to eriepa.com um, and navigate to the YEP website. Um, we have an off-the-clock event coming up at the end of the month on the 28th at VNet. We're going to be touring their space and talking about mm-hmm. the Innovation District. It's going to be an amazing event. Um, reach out to me if you want to know more. Um, but we would, you know, the more voices, the better. Now our conversation turns to, uh, a, you know, kind of a, 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 a traditional expatriate, someone who, you know, grew up here, loves Erie, 
but uh, went to school away and, and is making their own way um, uh, really on a national and international scale. I want to welcome to the microphone, or actually to the telephone, Nathan Kelly. Nathan, how are you, buddy? I'm great, Joel. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, let me give a little bio for you. Nathan Kelly is a member of Cross Boundaries Investment Advisory Team, where he structures investment platforms and supports in transactions in frontier markets. I want to find out what a frontier market is. Uh, he's a graduate of Washington and Lee University. He studied global politics and economics, focusing on monetary policy in fragile states. Nathan has advised on a variety of transactions, including international cross-border mergers and acquisitions and debt capital raises. Prior to uh, working at Cross Boundary, Nathan worked for the international development firm, the Kaizen Company and uh, Global Investment Bank, Lincoln International, and he's based out of Washington, D.C. So are you actually in, uh, in the district right now, Nathan? Yes, I am actually I'm sitting in uh, sitting in my office here for once in a great blue moon. <laughs> How was it during the shutdown? Was it like a ghost town? <laughs> actually, it was way more active, I would say, uh, because people were people were not in their offices all day. Um, I think the gig economy picked up a ton, um, and it was yeah, it was actually quite a lively town to to be around for the shutdown. All right, so let's talk um, about your origin story again. You're a, you're an Edinburgh McCain area boy. Talk about coming up in Erie County. Yes, sir. Yeah. Um, well, so uh, yeah, as you said, I grew up uh, right on the border of McCain and Edinburgh. Actually, my uh, dress was McCain, but my phone number was Edinburgh. Um, and yeah, went through the general claim school district. Uh, go Lancers. Um, was there for the dual state championship wins, although I had no part in it. Um, and yeah, after that, uh, as you said, uh, went to Washington and Lee for undergrad, uh, spent a couple of years in Chicago, and then have been in D.C. since. So uh, talk about y- your experience at Washington and Lee. Again, that is a pretty, uh, uh, you know, it's a highly selective school, uh, has a has a lot of history. It's where Robert E. Lee ended his, uh, his uh, you know, the end part of his life, right? I mean, there's a lot of history there. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So, uh, so it's named after uh, George Washington and Robert E. Lee, um, which is quite interesting, a dual history. In some ways, I think about uh, the guy who built the Union and then the guy who tried to tear it down, um, both in the same name. Um, but yeah, so, so went there, it, it, it was named after the two because, uh, George Washington gave, uh, a ton of money for that time, $20,000 of, uh, James River Canal stock to the university. And then, uh, Robert E. Lee was the president after the civil war and gave, gave the university kind of its national and international, uh, clout. And, uh, you know, when you when you think about uh, your choices um, at, at, you know, at that school, um, you you know, and you're looking at, you know, as you talk to recruiters or what have you, um, where would where would a town like Erie rank with that, especially in your uh, neck of the woods uh, or or your, you know, your chosen profession of finance? I mean, is is anybody from 
uh, Erie, uh, you know, we have some pretty major corporations, <laughs> but are they recruiting at a, at, a, at a place like Washington and Lee? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, so uh, I, I'd say Washington and Lee is one of the one of the top schools if you want to go into uh, investment banking or private equity. Um, two of the two of the major uh, middle market investment banks were founded by Washington and Lee alums. So there's there's certainly certainly a significant reputation. Um, yeah, in terms of people that have come into that profession from uh, from Erie, though, uh, I mean there ha- there are some, um, but they're kind of few and far between, and that's one of the things that I, I really would love. Uh, to see more Erie people, more people who've gone through Erie school districts, um, come through and and uh, and enter this this world because I think there I think there are a lot of talented people who could make a serious impact in this part of part of the world. But uh, but even even on on the recruiting side, I, I, I think about our you know our either our Fortune 500 company or our affiliates. You know, are they talking to, um, you know, gr- you know, potential graduates from a from a school like Washington and Lee or, you know, Virginia Tech or, you know, you think about the highly selected Absolutely. schools, you know, I mean, are they are they in there in the mix bringing those kids, those young adults back to Erie is what I'm trying to say. Oh, I see. I understand your question. So I I mean, I haven't seen it, to be honest with you, although I will say there is um uh there i had a i had a friend who went to washington lee who did a rotational program at ee um in their management division he had never he had never lived or been uh, lived in or been to erie before um and ended up spending uh a few years right after graduation um pulling pulling him back there so i but that's that's really the only story i i know of and i think that that's um that's one of the things that would be really helpful to kind of getting uh, getting more millennials uh, back to Erie. Yeah, and and again, you you see where I'm coming from. Whereas you know, um, to be competitive for those knowledge workers, you have to go after the knowledge workers. And so when you have somebody that has an affinity for a pl- you know for their either their hometown or for this neck of the woods, I would imagine that there were there were probably many more. Um, uh, corporations from Pittsburgh, for example, that were kind of on campus uh, when when uh, when the recruiters yeah, came. Yeah. yeah. All right. Absolutely. So so Absolutely. so when you're talking about international finance, we don't have a whole lot of that going on in our neck of the woods. So you were going to look look in either the D.C. or or New York Metro, or, and in your case, you ended up in Chicago. Um, you know, talk about uh, an Erie kid, an Erie County kid in Chicago. What was that? As far as a um, a culture shock, you know. Yeah, it was a culture shock. I will tell you that I, uh, um, I, I, you know, growing up in, in kind of the Edinburgh and Erie area, then going to school at a small town in Virginia, I, I had not I had not experienced the big city that much, except on maybe some trips or vacation. Um, so I I had I had plenty to learn when I got there about about getting around, but. Um, but I, I think about that that uh, that old that that old what was it Hank Williams song? A country boy can't survive. Um, <laughs> you can. Um, I was uh, yeah. It was it was a tough it, it was a tough transition. I mean, I guess for the first couple of weeks, but 
Um, but to be honest with you, those cities are so set up for people to transient people to come in and come out. It actually doesn't take you that much time to adjust because there's so many programs um, and activities that are set up to really welcome people uh, to those those towns. And, and from what I understand from your experience there, much like uh, one of our earlier guests was talking about, you know, how um, they uh, really appreciate, they would really appreciate just being able to, you know, live downtown, have access to public transit, you know, go to work, you know, uh, eat, a, you know, eat across the street from work and then maybe get, you know, get some, you know, uh, something after work and then go home all in the downtown area. You kind of had a very similar situation where if you wanted to, you can jump on what it was either the L or or the bus yep. to go to work uh, and or Uber it. Right. I mean. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, I. I I have not owned a car uh, since I graduated college. Uh, my my wife had a car uh, for for about a year when she was going uh, and, and working out in the suburbs of, of DC and needed some uh, needed a car to transit that way. But um, it, yeah, since since I graduated college, I, I've not had a car. I you know I take all the public transit. I do exactly as you're saying, you know, I, 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 I walk to work or I, I take the Metro to work and on my way in, maybe grab a coffee and on my way home, grab some dinner or something. Yeah. It's a very, very low profile existence. I, I like to joke that if the system goes down, I'm the first to go down. <laughs> <laughs> That's terrific. Yeah. Talk to us about, uh, you know, this, this concept that, uh, you know that you're working with fragile economies. I mean, like, um, uh, what's that all about? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. So, uh, um, so we were. Uh, it, I started out in kind of proper uh, mergers and acquisitions, investment banking, uh, right after college, and was um, working mostly kind of in developed markets, Europe, Japan, the U.S. Um, and and that it's a robust and really deep financial market. I mean, and everybody kind of sees the results of that and the access to finance that they get it when you're in uh, kind of a developed market where you can go to a bank, you can get approved for a personal line of credit pretty easily, and 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 the capital raise investment process is is uh, pretty straightforward because a lot of groups do it. Um, but the company that I'm working for now is a, a, a mission-oriented company that really tries to get um, investment into places that don't attract investment normally. So companies that are functioning in, in really challenging environments where investors are kind of scared to go in, but there are still really good uh, companies there and businesses trying to you know grow and make an impact and hire people. And so... Um, so a lot of the work that we're doing is is trying to um, help investors kind of enter enter those markets and make those investments, um, so you can see um, see some growth there. And 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 that's a, a, a huge distinctive with uh, your generation, isn't it? Is that it's 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 beyond just the dollars and cents. Not and again, I don't want to paint too broad of a of a of a, a brush. But this concept of having a mission, uh, you know, or social justice right. background to 
you know, even yeah. international finance or investing. Yeah, right. That's just that just fills my heart. I got to mm-hmm. tell you. Well, if I could just interject, well, well, just I'm glad. Yeah, go go just ahead. Real quick, yeah. you know, I mean, we had my. I mean, think back to the '60s, right? right? You, we had that same impetus, Joel, and and it played out through JFK's Peace Corps. I believe it was JFK that initiated the Peace Corps, right? We weren't doing international finance, but kids were going out and spending, you know, a couple, three years in the most destitute parts of the world, you know, trying to make a difference. Right. right? right. So we a, had that same spirit. And there's been AmeriCorps since. But, right. But this is kind of like making that bridge of of you know of of really big business and high finance and saying yeah. you know what we can we could either you know uh serve the we we basically we can we can both serve mm-hmm. the um you know serve the, the sociological needs, needs well we right. could we could we could serve the you know the the needs of the shareholders while you know be you know doing mm-hmm. something good for people uh, speak to that nathan yeah yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, I think you've you've hit the nail on the head in in it, uh, in, in Pete, and your and your thinking. You're absolutely right. I mean, there's 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 there have been generations before millennials that that do that want to make a difference. It's not like we're the first generation with a heart or something. Right. Um, but the but what it, what's changing is people want it to all be integrated. Right. They don't want to be going. Um, okay, I'm going to spend a couple of years doing my good thing, and then I'm going to go make a ton of money. Mm. Um, And the the opposite has also been true in the past, right? I'm going to go make a ton of money, and then I'm going to give a bunch of it away. It's kind of two separate Hmm. uh, things. I I think what what people are are seeing now with millennials, and, and I certainly am a prime example of this, is that we want it to all be integrated where, you know, our men and the, the work that we're doing for our living are, are integrated kind of in one, uh, one block of our, our, our lives. I mean, it's kind of it's somewhat easier to think about it that way. But I think the other thing is it's, it's really sustaining. It really helps people um, uh, not only be motivated by the fact that, you know, they're getting a paycheck at the end of the day, but they're seeing some really great things happening um, as a result of the work they're doing and, and are almost willing to trade and certainly in my case willing to trade um, some compensation for the um, for the uh, impact that they can have in that role we, we only have about three minutes left I want to ask you about how how much uh, do you carry your Erie County values your your kind of your groundedness from being you know that that General McLean Lancer with you as you kind of fly in these rarefied circles of of international finance and you're dealing with these heavy hitters you know yeah yeah i mean well 100% i mean i think um uh, what i've witnessed in my friends uh who've kind of gone out from Erie and gotten jobs outside of Erie uh, is that, that their preparation for those has actually been uh, way more uh, or way better or more significant than they even thought. I think there's a, I think one of the things that saddens me sometimes is thinking back to my own experience, being discouraged by other people from uh, kind of reaching for the stars and saying, oh, maybe I'll go to an Ivy League or, you know, a really good top tier school or something. The, the attitude wasn't 
uh, was kind of, oh, you're, you know, you're from Erie, you know, you might not be able to do it. Um, and, and I'll tell you, I graduated kind of, I graduated 20th in my class of 200. So I just got in that top 10% and it was huge. But that meant, means that there were 20 people ahead of me um, who, uh, who were better uh, students than I am. And I saw so many of them um, say, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of from Erie. I'm not, I'm not really prepared. I'm going to go to kind of the lesser school, maybe take a little bit better, um, uh, a little bit better financing package or something um, to stick close to home where I know I can be successful. And, and I think one of the things people need to realize is that uh, Erie is not so different, and it actually prepares you really well be outside uh, of it and be very successful in some of the more high profile areas of the world. And, and I really wish we, I saw kind of more people seizing that. I think the narrative is changing. And I heard, heard a little bit of your conversation earlier from dreary eerie to, to, to what was the, what was the slogan? Cheery eerie. Um, eerie. Yeah. <laughs> hey, we got exactly. one, we got one minute. What's the biggest thing that you miss about your hometown? Oh my gosh! Uh, Friday night football games for sure. I still get the text from my dad. Boy. Yeah, he's probably giving you the play-by-play. I would imagine, you know. Hey, Nathan, yeah. Nathan yeah. Kelly, thank you so much for being on here. And I hope you know as you go out and about and you're and you're you're telling like the eerie story. You know, get some investors to kind of pour some cash up up this way. You know, there there is a lot of cool yeah. things happening, and I know that you're in tune with that. 